0: Hello, and welcome to Where R.A. Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I'm tonight's co-host, Jacob Louie, a senior from Los Angeles, California, majoring in education and minoring in Korean and an RA at 7th Street and Alumni.
1: It's great to have you. I'm the co-host, Tom Ellett, the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Welcome back to a second podcast, Jacob.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tom, thanks for having me. So um, last spring semester, I was on, had a great time. Um, And this fall, I saw you around at the dining halls and I was like, Tom,
1: get me on this podcast again. Look at that. We made it happen. We did make it happen. Tell me a little bit about this uh, past academic semester. Uh, You were doing what?
0: Absolutely. So um, as a senior, in the education program, one of the requirements is that we do uh, student teaching five days a week uh, for 20 hours per week. And um, yeah, uh, as I get more and more hands-on experience, the more I realize I love working with kids, love working with students, and it's uh, a joy at every day in
1: the morning when I get to see their faces. That's great. What age? What class uh, status are they in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm currently working with uh, eighth graders mm-hmm. in uh, history and English. So it's um, a really good kind of grade where they're trying to figure themselves out but at the same time they got some personality and wit to them sometimes so they'll definitely push your buttons but at the end of the day a fun group to work great, with
1: great great uh- preparation for the class? Do you have to do um, lesson plans at right. this point in time?
0: That's a great question, Tom, and um, prior to this year, I had no experience writing lesson plans and whatnot, but uh, with the help of my coordinating teacher and a really supportive uh, support system here at NYU, uh, I'm learning a lot, and I'm really getting that hands-on experience so that next year um, when I graduate and hopefully um, have no a job hope. with a DMV. No hope. No, de- that, no hope. That's no. going to happen. You don't Our, need hope. It's, gonna, yeah, uh,
1: it's a uh, slam dunk. Dunk.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll know I'll have uh, these tools in my toolkit that I can use right. and the experiences that I've gained um, to put them to use.
1: And probably some of those skills also come from the RA position as well. Absolutely. Tough. Which we're going to talk about tonight. Right. Who's our guest tonight?
0: We have a great guest tonight, uh, Angelo Landresina who served as an RA in Hayden for Stephanie Rabble and Cat Dog during the 2009 and 2011 academic years. Uh, welcome, Angelo, and thank you for joining us on today's show, it's a real pleasure to have you. Hi Jacob,
2: hi Tom, thanks for having me on.
0: So, um, how
2: are you and where are you? I'm doing great. I'm actually um, down in our nation's capital, Washington,
0: D.C. Okay, and uh, tell us a little bit about like uh, what you've done since you've graduated at NYU. In my understanding, it's about eight, nine years now, right? Yeah,
2: it feels like it's been ages, but after um, completing my undergrad at NYU, I then um, went to medical school at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, in the Bronx. While I was there, I actually did take a year out to do basic science and translational research before finishing up and then completing an internship in internal medicine, and now uh, my dermatology residency.
1: Fantastic. Angel, it's good to hear your voice. I remember the days back in Hayden, now called Lipton, uh, uh, on the square. So why don't you tell our listeners uh, what it was like at the square? What did you study, undergrad?
2: So while I was pre-med, I wanted to take the chance while I was there at NYU to study something aside from science, because I knew that science was going to be so much part of my career. And I thought, uh, you know, what better thing to study than Spanish? I wanted to become fluent in the language, one, because I had a great interest in it, but also secondly, to be able to interface with more uh, populations of patients in their own language. So my major was actually Spanish and Latin American literature and culture, um, and I also minored in chemistry so it was it was a very busy schedule back then
1: (laughs) wow yeah
0: Yeah, Angela, that sounds really interesting i think two things there uh one i i'm totally on board with you in terms of learning new languages um or just languages in general i actually at at my time here at nyu i uh, minored in korean and i'm definitely one of those um I definitely understand that with learning a language, it's not just learning how to speak, write, listen. It's also learning about uh, different people's cultures, different ideas and perspectives. And I think that's outstanding that um, just learning Spanish, that's really great. And another thing is my older brother um, What is currently at uh, UMass Med. Uh, so he's like a second year sophomore there. But one of the schools he did apply to was Albert Einstein. And unfortunately he didn't get in, but hey, <laughs> he's in med school. And um, yeah. Uh, it's a really competitive process, but he tells me that the studying portion of med school is just crazy. He tells me he studies eight, nine hours a day. It's a lot to handle, but um, how did you kind of navigate through that? So would you be able to tell me a little bit about that? I
2: think that, you know, it's really funny going from, you know, undergraduate studies where for so many people, you know, if, if you have your eyes, Set on becoming a physician. You're an overachiever. So for all those years going through, you know, your undergraduate education, you're used to being in some ways at the top of your class, being a high achiever, and then ending up in a setting where nearly everybody is exactly like you. So in a way, Um, It does become competitive, especially as uh, people set their sights on um, different residencies and different specialties uh, that, you know, have varying degrees of competition to get into. Um, Thankfully, you know, my medical school, at least for the first two years, was um, pass-fail. So there was a little bit of a safety net there, but also um, it allowed me to just uh, have a sense of support from the rest of my class and my uh, other classmates. So, you know, that uh, really helped with the rigorous studies. But I must say, you know, one of the, the common analogies that people use is like, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. You're just trying to absorb as much information as possible um, and it's almost impossible (laughs) to remember it all but in the end you know it really comes into focus and you can see why you need to know all that in the second half of medical school when you know you're on the wards you're seeing what the job is you're actually taking care of patients um, and then it you know in a way all becomes worth it.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to jog your memory just a little bit, and we're going to focus a little bit back on the time on the square. Uh, Angela, tell us a little bit about the RE experience. What did you gain from the role that you potentially may be using today?
2: It was really an invaluable experience for me, and I feel like I still use some of the skills that I practiced back then. Things like you know being called and having to manage a crisis at a moment's notice, Uh, I do that a little bit less now than I did when I was um, in internal medicine. But aside from that, you know, having the uh, interpersonal skills to discuss difficult topics with people, things came up for the freshmen that were my residents back in the day, and I had to be able to level with them and try to really see difficult issues through their eyes and to be empathetic. And I find that I do that with my patients every day now. Um, I think nothing is more sensitive than, you know, somebody's personal health. And a lot of times I need to be able to have the empathy to work through difficult issues with my patients. And I think that that was, was something that I learned as an RA that I'm, I'm still using all the time.
0: I'm definitely on board with you. I think um, the like just empathy and being able to be in, trying to be able to be in somebody else's shoes, that kind of stuff are really kind of skills that I have adopted as well, um, working with students, working with constituents, um, working with residents. So I totally get that. Um, but bring it back even a little bit further. What made you apply for the RA position?
2: So, you know, when I first started at NYU, I was actually a commuter. I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in um, South Brooklyn, so I was taking uh, that long subway ride in every day. Um, And part of the reason that I applied was just because I said, I want that on-campus experience that, that I didn't have. The other part of it was I felt like, you know, that was uh, kind of the role that I wanted. I felt like I had the interpersonal skills and I felt like it would really be a great fit. And I was happy to find that it was, um, you know, the uh, the experience of being there and um, getting to, you know, become close with my, my uh co-RAs was, was, was really um, one of the things that made my NYU experience
1: so memorable. What, what was the Hayden staff like for you?
2: I think we were a good-sized group, and we were all studying various different things, but I think that it uh, becoming friends with everybody that I worked with there did sort of expand my experience at NYU because up until then um, most of the friends that I had made were in my pre-med classes with me. So to be able to just, uh, you know, get a sense of uh, what everybody was doing and, you know, where they were going in life was just uh, sort of eye-opening. We were all very close. And uh, I think that uh, in the role we all really uh, stepped up and supported each other uh, when it got difficult, and I really appreciated that.
0: What are, What are the kind of relationships you had with your um, residents? Just because I'm very curious, always to see the different dynamics from um, that other RAs from different halls have with their residents. So, how was uh, those interactions day to day looking like? Did you guys get um, good engagement with programs? How did that work out? So.
2: In my second year in the role, I was actually on an explorations floor. Our theme was NYC past, present, and future. And, you know, for a native New Yorker like me, that was a dream especially because I think all but one of my residents was not from New York. Um, so to be able to, uh, show this, this group of people who, um, either, you know, was brand new to New York, maybe didn't know much, um, to show them the city that I loved in that way. And then, you know, watch as they got to know it themselves. That was, that was just kind of a beautiful experience for me. And I think, um, That kind of defined a lot of the relationship I have with the residents. They were very engaged in all of my programs. They showed up. They all became very close to each other. So we had truly a little community there.
1: That's great. explorations floors, we find that uh, true today as well. Um, What about the extracurricular activities that you participated in? Clearly, being pre-med, you may not have had the time. In being the commuter early on in your career, that may have also been a barrier, but were there things that you got involved in?
2: So, yeah, it was a little bit difficult for me um, between, you know, being pre-med commuting and holding like at sometimes multiple part-time jobs. It made it really difficult, but one extracurricular that I was very involved in that I'm not sure is still there was um, Global Brigades. Um, we as a group worked through this nonprofit to send medical brigades. So basically um, sort of roving pre-clinics, to Honduras so we banded together as a group you know recruited physicians to go with us to actually provide the medical care and then went to Honduras and actually traveled and set up shop in various different rural villages I got to use my Spanish skills and I think that that really um, was an opportunity that that changed my view of medicine of health and of public health, really. So, you know, that, w- that was an extracurricular experience that, that uh, has impacted me until today, still.
1: Great contributions to our communities, that's for sure. What surprised you about being an RA
0: specifically? Was there one certain event that happened in your role that you totally did not expect as you were in the role? Like, um, did anything come as like a shock or did you come into it knowing the expectations of being an RA and how did you navigate that?
2: I think in some ways I was kind of a fish out of water because like I hadn't lived in a residence hall before. Um, So i I think that probably like the number one thing that was surprising was having to balance the relationship of you know wanting to be friendly with my residents but then at the same time like having to uphold the rules um so that was always an interesting balance and something that I didn't foresee um but I was you know I'm fortunate to have navigated it <laughs> pretty well
1: absolutely you have. Did, did you always know you wanted to be a doctor when you were an undergrad, or was that before? And what was the impetus for you to want to be a physician?
2: So I always say, like, I was a weird teenager, and I wanted to be a dermatologist when I was 16 years old. Uh, <laughs> so I did arrive at NYU knowing that I wanted to be pre-med. I did entertain, you know, other ideas of other careers, too, but... Um, For me, it was just um, when I was in high school, I discovered that I had a love of science, but I knew that I wanted to do something where I could meet and help people from all different walks of life. So, yeah, I felt like becoming a physician was kind of a no-brainer. I did, you know, think that maybe there were other things that I wanted to do, um, but I remember, you know, signing up for my pre-med classes as a freshman, and in the beginning, there was something like, um, you know, Six, seven hundred people who were pre med, and every semester watching that number kind of dwindle down and hanging in there, like it became more clear to me um, that I felt like I had what it took. And eventually, you know, I just kept it going. And, and you know, sometimes you turn around and you're like, wow, how did I get here?
1: Right. Perseverance. <laughs> yeah.
0: Perseverance. And so I think my brother, uh, when I asked him, um, why do you want to be a doctor? And he's like, being a doctor for me is the best way i think i can give back to my community and um, that's great to hear angelo it's been great talking to you so far so we're going to take a short break here and but when we come back uh we're going to jump into your current role and your experiences um, working as a doctor
2: hi i'm erica tashwa i was an ra at lafayette You can check out my web series about two friends who get hit by a car and die and become ghosts. Together, they have to figure out their unfinished business and navigate
1: the afterlife. It's called Life After, and you can check it out at lifeafterseries.com. Welcome back, Angel. We have just heard about your experience while at NYU. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about what you've been doing down in DC. Uh, First of all, I'd love to hear uh, what was the rationale for you in DC in terms of your studies and and working there. Uh, And then we'll talk a little bit about dermatology.
2: So um, at the point that I'm at now in my residency, this is kind of um, like the first job that you get as a doctor. Um, Everything that I do is still supervised in a way, um, but I am in the specialty that, that, that I will ultimately work in, which is dermatology. The way that people end up in various different residencies isn't like a typical job interview. There is something called the National Residency Match, and basically what happens is when you're finishing medical school, You put out a bunch of applications, you interview at a bunch of different programs, and then you make a rank list of where you would like to end up, and all of the programs make a rank list of everybody who interviewed there in um, the order that they thought they would be a good fit, and for me, uh, the program that, you know, I was matched with through a computer algorithm is here in Washington, D.C. I was happy to end up in the program where I'm at. It's actually a really strong program where I'm learning so much and I get to take care of a diverse panel of my own patients. Um, And that's that's basically um, what I'm doing now. I'm currently in my final year of my residency. I am chief resident at my residency, so that's Um, kind of an administrative and clinical role and I see everything from skin cancer to chronic skin diseases like psoriasis. I do cosmetic procedures and even surgeries so it's a very varied job and I find it really fulfilling.
0: Yeah, so just having so much on your plate um, in terms of studying and what goes on actually in the residency, like, how does this workload challenge your work life balance? This role makes you expend a lot of emotional capital. Like, how do we um, work around that, and how do we create a fine line between our work life and our social life, and and what's whatnot?
2: I would say honestly, you know, it's it is definitely hard in any specialty to find that balance and physician burnout is uh, a really hot topic within all of medicine right now. In dermatology, I would say that um, many people might look at our job from the outside and say, you know, Hey, that internal medicine doc is working 80 hours a week. You basically have a nine to five. You should be fine. Uh, But in derm. You know, We still do take calls, see consults, and aside from that, we have one of the most difficult uh, certification exams in all of medicine, so in addition to my clinical duties, I do have to do a fair amount of studying, and then on top of that, in my personal life, I'm in a long-distance relationship, and I'm basically back and forth to New York all the time, so it is hard to manage everything, I find that, What helps me is the ability to really make time for myself sometimes, whether that be, you know, um, saying, you know, I wanna work out today and it's non-negotiable that I'm gonna do that. Or, you know, taking a night off from studying and just um, hanging out with some friends, um, especially catching up with people who have nothing to do with medicine is always a great stress relief for me because I get to escape my life for a little bit. Um, So uh, I think, you know, everybody has their different ways of balancing their life. And I think for me, it's just making sure that I make it a priority that I carve out the time for myself.
1: What's a normal day like?
2: So for me, uh, a normal day would start around 8 a.m., I make my way uh, to my clinic. Usually I have maybe 20 to 30 minutes to do some administrative duties, whether that be like catching up on paperwork for my patients, interfacing with their insurance, calling patients with their results. Depending on the day, usually I have a a good uh, panel of patients that I'll see, either for medical derm concerns, or in some cases, it'll be a procedural clinic, and I'll do several different surgeries and follow-ups from surgeries from the week before, and that generally runs until about 5 p.m. You know, I do make my way out of a clinic and I do have to spend a good amount of time studying. So especially in dermatology, there's all different conditions that I need to know, even if I've never seen them before, in case they walk through the door, including rare genetic syndromes and infectious diseases that you might not always find in the United States. But a fair amount of studying and then Finally, I do get some time for myself.
1: (laughs) Which is important. Yes.
0: What is it like to transition from a student to dermatologist? I know like you went to medical school, but is there a part of you that still thinks that you're a student? Yeah,
2: I I would say that in medicine, learning never stops. That's one of the things that I love about it. Um, from the fact that, yes, I'm still studying for my certification exams to new treatments coming out for different diseases that you need to stay current on. And I think that transitioning from being a full-time student to now, I find that I'm still learning. There's just quite a bit more responsibility. I'm responsible for all of my patients and some of the decisions that I make, you know, if I make a mistake, it could be life threatening in in some cases. So I want to make sure that I'm always at the top of my game and still learning, even though I have all this new responsibility. I also think that in medicine, you know, there is a strong component of teaching and mentorship, especially when you're in academic medicine. So I'm trying to pay forward what all of my mentors gave to me, and now I'm in a position where there are always students around. I'm always teaching someone, too, and just kind of trying to pass on the knowledge um, and to you know encourage even the next generation after me of uh, physicians who are coming down the pipeline.
1: That's great. Role modeling for future physicians, too. You had a business on the side during your career. What was that about? And how did it start? And where is it now?
2: So um,
1: I don't know if I would so
2: much call it a business, but I do have a website. Uh, It is called Dermangelo.com. I also have a social media presence. Um, You can find me on all social media at Dermangelo. That's D-E-R-M-A-N-G-E-L-O. I said to myself, you know what, we are in a new information age in medicine. Even back when I was in medical school, um, we would always tell patients, don't Google what you have because you're just going to end up on WebMD and you're going to think that you have cancer and you're dying. I did notice a shift, though, because uh, a lot of patients now, even uh, especially, actually, my younger patients will sometimes come to me with, uh, you know, a strange rash and they'll know their diagnosis before they even come to see me. People are becoming far more tech savvy, but in a way, it's difficult to tell good information from bad information, especially since so much of the information when it comes to my field, skin, skin care, and the like is uh, put out there with uh, the secondary gain in mind to sell a product. So the skincare industry relies heavily on social media, the internet, and influencers to sell their products. So I said, there's definitely a gap here. Nobody with the knowledge base is really stepping in to give people the resources to know the skin science behind the good habits that they should have. So I said, I'm gonna put up this website. It'll also be an outlet for my writing. I really." enjoy writing, and um, part of my Spanish major was actually, I did a lot of writing, um, and I wanted to get back to it. So, uh, at first, I just thought, you know, this might be a really good resource for my patients, and it has been. I only have a finite amount of time with them during their visits, so I now have a resource to uh, direct them to, to read more about their conditions or the treatments that I'm giving them. However... To my surprise, my work has actually resonated with a lot of people. So um, I do get quite a bit of visitors to my website. I have a good, solid little following um, of you know, people on social media who follow my work and who are so encouraging. It's actually been less than a year now, but I just said, you know what, I started this thing. Let's see where it goes. So what it's going to be in the future, I don't know. Um, A little media company, a skincare line. I feel like the possibilities are endless. Um, So that's where we're at right now.
1: Well, it's your intra- entrepreneurial side that's showing too, and a great service uh, to give real information that's important. Uh, like you said, not just something the influencers or those who want to sell a product are, are actually spouting.
0: going to throw you a curveball here, um, Angelo, and let's say um, if to our audience here, um, we just have 10 minutes on our day, what's one thing that we can do so we wake up the next morning with a, with a bright and clean face? Okay, so I would say, starting from the
2: morning, always make sure you're, you have SPF on. Always wear sunscreen. I don't care what season it is, it could be winter, it could be snowing out, raining, overcast. The UV uh, radiation is still there, um, and it's contributing to skin cancer risk, but also skin aging. So the easiest thing to do is make sure you have SPF on all exposed areas every day, even if you spend most of your time indoors, because UVA passes through window glass. So that's my number one thing that takes less than 10 minutes.
1: Great suggestion. Uh, h- how about, um, you know, the products, and, and I don't need for you to, endu- I'm not asking you to endorse any products, but in terms of things that people should be doing for their skin and their bodies, is there something that you would recommend besides the uh, SPF?
2: So I would say, you know, as a holistic skincare approach, and this is especially important this time of year in the winter, noticing your bathing and moisturizing habits and how they can be optimized. So I probably say what I'm about to say about 50 times a day, but one shower a day, lukewarm, not hot water, um, five minutes, no more than that. And you, you should be using a, a very gentle unscented soap, And you only need soap to the underarms, groin, and backside. The rest of your body just needs water. After you're done with your shower, while you have a few drops of water still left after toweling off, putting a nice moisturizer all over your body, this is a life-changing practice for many people. Um, I challenge anybody who's listening to do
0: this uh, and to notice the difference in their skin. All right, so we'll uh, keep that in an account. And- tomorrow morning.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> there you go, Jacob. Tom, keeping me accountable. Here. I will. i will text you tomorrow. I'm going to email you and say, Jacob, did you do what Angelo said to do?
0: Right. And so um, let's switch gears a little bit. What's, uh, advi- what's some advice that you can give for uh, a student who wants to be a dermatologist?
2: So uh, what I would say is, uh, you know, if you're still in college and you think dermatology is really right for you, make sure that you go and spend time in the clinical setting. The road to this point is not easy. It is both hard mentally, emotionally, physically. So making sure that you really want it is definitely the first step. And then beyond that, it's just study hard, make the connections that you need to make. Um, DERM is an especially competitive field. The first thing that everybody will tell you is while you're in med school, you need to be a star student there, too. But I would go beyond that and say, show your passion for the field do scientific research and contribute to our understanding of the skin. Find a mentor who's really going to be there for you and will go to bat for you and um, who will really help you advance your career. Um, And I I would say maybe my ultimate piece of advice is make it your own. I found that my uh, greatest happiness in getting to the point where I'm at is when I'm working on a topic or... Um, with a population of patients that I'm passionate about. Right now, uh, the way that that's manifesting is contributing to um, dermatology's understanding of how to treat LGBTQ patients. Um, I'm about to go to a national conference in January and give a talk about that as faculty at this conference. So I'm really excited about that. I would say to anybody looking to jump into this field, find something that you're passionate about, contribute to what we know about it, um, and I think that everybody will be very impressed.
1: What do you do to stay current in the field, Angelo? Um, you know, Are there certain journals, uh, maybe podcasts, uh, or, or some other kind of things that you use that actually keeps you invested into the research that's coming out today?
2: So um, for me as a resident, I'm actually very fortunate to be able to go to various different national conferences and hear talks, you know, for a discounted price because I'm still in training. That's one of my favorite resources because usually you go and you have people who are leaders in uh, the topics that they're speaking on, giving practical advice um, that I find that I always take back to my patients. But you know, reading, yeah dermatology specific journals um is very important um as well as even um you know there's various services that will send you daily emails with synopses of the research that's coming out and i find that that always you know if, if there's something that sparks my interest that i think um i could bring to my patients I'll look at, into it further um and i find that's one of my favorite ways to stay current just having uh you know just a little a little dose of something new per day to make me think
0: what are you most proud of in your career date? that's a really difficult question
2: um i would say you know there's various different things probably the thing that makes me the proudest uh is when i have a patient who has a really severe skin disease that's impacting every part of their life and i get to make them better and they come back to me and thank me that's really my proudest moment um, but beyond that, uh, you know, having built out my website and getting to have used my knowledge to have a greater reach and impact even more people than I could possibly uh, meet in one day, that, that has made me, you know, very happy.
1: Okay, it's now time for shout outs. So uh, being an RA in, in Hayden Hall, any colleagues that you want to shout out at this time
2: oh my god okay so i miss my whole staff there i gotta say one thing that i've been terrible about is keeping in touch with
1: people (laughs) well you'll get a pass as soon as you finish your residency that'll change (laughs) hopefully they're following you on your social media accounts
2: yeah i mean i i do keep in touch with plenty of people via social media but you know i think uh once i have more time Catch-up sessions are, are are definitely on my my list of things to do.
0: Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So uh, right now we're gonna do a speed round here. So um, I'm gonna kick things off. Who was your favorite NYU professor?
2: I think that uh, off the top of my head, one of one of my favorite uh, Spanish professors who was also My academic advisor at one point is uh, Maria Lourdes Davila, who taught one class that I took about um, photography and the history of literature in Puerto Rico that just put everything into a different focus for me. Uh, She really changed the way that I think about literature and art. And then from the um, pre-med side, Maitland Jones, who I don't know if he's still at NYU, but taught uh, the organic chemistry course. He's just somebody who is so passionate about science. um, And I think that that really rubbed off on me.
1: Any celebrity sightings while a student here?
2: Oh, my gosh, tons. Um, I will never forget just like walking out to Washington Square Park and seeing who would be there. Um, So frequently, um, Sarah Jessica Parker, Matthew Broderick, Um, one of my jobs when uh, I was in undergrad was actually in the Upper East Side, and they would shoot Gossip Girl outside of my office all the time, and so I would frequently, you know, leave work to go run an errand and ruin their takes. I've gotten more than one dirty look from Blake Lively. It was great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so one of my biggest regrets uh, at NYU um, is not studying abroad. Did you get the chance to study abroad by any chance?
2: I actually didn't. I mean, I did get my abroad experience with my extracurricular work in Honduras, but unfortunately, I didn't get to go abroad, and it's a regret uh, of mine, too.
1: Yeah, right. a lot of students will say that. <laughs> Finally, what, w- what was your most memorable RA experience? Um,
2: I think that one of the one of the uh, most fun memories that I have was Hayden's qualifier for, I think it's the ultraviolet live, the talent competition, um, you know, usually the RAs will put on some sort of skit. So our staff decided to do a lip syncing and dancing medley to various different, um, boy band and girl band songs. And, um, it was, uh, really a great time that's something that i'll never forget
1: if you have it on tape you'll have to send it to us to put in the show notes Love to watch that it. would be oh locked. i
0: will find the video <laughs> you better find you. seriously it's it will, out there
1: we will put it on the nyu ra alumni website as well
0: <laughs> yeah well angela thank you uh, so much for staying time time with uh, tom and i to discuss your journey and where your life after nyu has taken you as always, thank to our listeners who can uh, can stay connected with RA alums who are living the dream school alumni
1: version life. Angelo, you are impressive uh, not only as someone who will be practicing the work that you will be doing as a physician, but also paying attention to uh, the advice that you can be giving to stu- to, to your patients over li- over the line of social media. So. Uh, And I love your energy. Uh, Your commitment to community is very evident. So thank you for being with us tonight. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Special thanks to our engineer, Dean Maupin, our executive director, Duncan Lemieux, and our executive producer, Shahara Ranasang, and to the current professional staff and alums like Stephanie Rabel and Kat Dobb for helping these alums gain skills during their time here at NYU. If you'd like the show, look for more content on the newly unveiled NYU RA alumni website at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists RA favorite books, picks of all favorite all-time favorite RAs, moments and alumni accomplishments. Until next time, think about how you can learn and teach it to others. Good night everybody.